Blessed are you, Adonai, God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his mitzvot and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the house of Yisrael. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Yisrael, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael. Continuing on with the Egeret to the Roman series, we are in chapter 2, verse 25. Egeret is the word for letter, and this is actually a letter that was written by Shaul Hashliot, Paul the Apostle. Uh, his original name is Shaul, but he was also called Paul, so that's where Paul is the common name that he is noted by. And it's important to know that this letter was written to a congregation of people who were a part of the spreaders of the events that happened in Acts chapter 2 during the festival of Shavuot, which is commonly called Pentecost. So there were some believers who were Jewish uh, who experienced uh, the speaking in the different, the 70 languages um, from the apostles, which are the Talmudim of Mashiach Yeshua. So this would be like Kepha and Yochanan, Yaakov, uh, and the rest of the group, which Shaul was not one of them. But uh, there was, Shaul was in another part of uh, his journeys uh, spreading the message of the Besorah. And there was a messenger that he dispatched to go ahead of him with this letter to Rome because he was going to actually go to this congregation, this community there, and uh, continue to share with them. So these individuals here are already, uh, they're acquainted with and introduced to Torah, but they're not necessarily well seasoned in Torah. So this would be what we experience in Sar Shalom and Lapid Judaism, that uh, we're introduced to Torah and we're coming back to our roots and our foundation of the true message that Mashiach Yeshua taught. And he said that we are to go out into all the corners of the earth, starting with Judea and Samaria, that we start there at the home base and then we expand out to the four corners of the world because before Mashiach Yeshua returns, uh, the message of his gospel, which is true Torah, not just a phony outside appearance and a look of it, but true character change, true heart change and soul change uh, through obedience and attachment to the word of God, which is true salvation. So in Judaism or in Hebrew, actually, the language of Judaism is called Yeshua when it comes to the word salvation. So salvation, Yeshua, that's all acquainted with you being attached and connected to Hashem and being in covenant with him. So it's not necessarily that you believe in Yeshua HaMashiach, but that you're attached to the word of God and you're actually a doer and not just a hearer of it. This is why Yaakov would say, you know, commonly known as James, blessed not only are the hearers, but also the doers. And the doing is where the power is actually actualized from the word of God. So when you really look at what is salvation, first of all, are you attached to Hashem? Because 
in Torah, it's taught the way to be attached to Hashem, who is a consuming fire. You must be attached to Torah, Torah scholars, or Azotic. It just so happens that Mashiach Yeshua is the Torah made flesh. And when he was made flesh, he was a Torah scholar because he is the Torah. And by default, he is the Zadok because he represents the epitome of one who attaches us and makes us foundationally placed in Hashem. So Mashiach Yeshua is known as Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David because those two Mashiachs are one. The two Mashiachs is brought down in ancient Jewish Midrashim, which is ancient study texts of Torah, that there are two Mashiachs. There's one who's going to suffer and there's one who's going to reign as king. And they just so happen that they're the same person. So between the two understandings of who Messiah is and what he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to do, there was the the perspective brought out that these are two distinctions of the roles and the character of who Mashiach is. So we know that Mashiach Yeshua has already done the Mashiach ben Yosef part. And so the one we're awaiting is Mashiach ben David, which is currently who most of uh, modern Judaism is waiting for because they understand or we understand, I should say, because we're all in this together. We understand that um, there has to be one who suffers on account of the sins, not only of Israel, but the whole entire world, which is what Mashiach ben Yosef is supposed to do. If you read the Messiah text, you'll see he's supposed to suffer and die for the sins of all generations, all the stillborns and um, those who uh, their lives are cut short, um, basically before they had a chance to live, which is, you know, those who are stillborns and, and things like that. So Mashiach has already accepted that suffering upon himself in order to bring salvation to every generation, past, present and future. Uh, and so if you read Yochanan, which is John chapter 17, you'll see about He's interceding for Mashiach Yeshua, that is, is interceding for the believers of his time and of previous generations and for those who are yet to become believers, which the word in Hebrew is ma'aminim. And that's the word that's used for believer. So when you have this understanding, uh, you lay this over the you lay this as your foundation before you actually overlay Romans. So when you look at the letter to the Romans, this is your backdrop. So uh, I want to just bring this up as it has been a while since I've actually podcasted on this series and uh, with the new format that I'm, I'm with the help of Hashem going to be doing. I want to make sure that I recover and reset up, you know, the scope so that we get the most out of what we're doing, because technically studying the letters of the Talmudim, studying the letters of Shaul um, because he was a shliach, which is a sent one, a.k.a. an apostle. Uh, he wasn't one of the twelve, but he was definitely one of the followers in the Talmudim of Mashiach. It's interesting to note that the Baal Shem Tov and Yosef Karo, uh, Yosef Karo, the uh, author of the Shulchan Aruch, um, between him and Baal Shem Tov, they both had this uh, encounter miraculously with Hashem. And uh, it was the same way that Shaul did, like this this vision, this bright light and this revelation and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, the the story of how Shaul became 
uh, of Shliach and became a, a one who is a progenitor of the Besorah of Yeshua. Uh, that is not foreign in, in Jewish thought. So that's important to note because so many times when we mix in, not really mixing, but when we talk about Torah with the understanding of Mashiach Yeshua, it's always considered, oh, here we go, being Christian, or here we go, associating ourselves with the church and things like that. Well, that's far from the truth because church is something that developed hundreds of years later after the death of all 12 of the Talmudim and even Shaul himself and other writers in the canon of Matthew through Revelation. So the canon of Matthew through Revelation should not be called New Testament because New Testament infers and implies and insinuates that it is a replacement. It's something different than what goes before it, which is called the Tanakh, which, by the way, during the time of these different writings, like the gospel accounts, the letters, Acts, Revelation, you know, and things like that. The t during that time frame, what was known as the scriptures, the Bible, the word of God, you know, uh, that was called the Tanakh, which is the Torah, which is uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy or Bereshit through Devarim. And then uh, the rest of the Tanakh, which is Yehoshua all the way through Malachi. So. When you look at that, uh, that is what was called the Bible. So anytime we're reading the letters and we see as it is written in the scripture or as the Bible uh, states or, you know, the word of God that's living, active, sharper than any two edged sword. And all of scripture is uh, is used for training and it's infallible and all of that. That's speaking of the Tanakh, which was given to us, by the way, by the men of the great of assembly. Uh, people like uh, Mordecai from the Esther story, people like Haggai, which is one of the minor prophets, and uh, Zerubbabel, which was one of the builders in the second temple. Uh, you know, so when you really look at who these uh, people are that were on the men of a great assembly, these are very notable men who were upstanding and righteous, so much so that we quote from them uh, as if it is the word of God, which it is. And so when we look at is this tradition of man, well, if you read the Bible at all, whether it's uh, Bereshit through Malachi, Genesis through Malachi, or, you know, Bereshit, Genesis through Revelation, either way, you're still looking at what was handed down to us from Jews. So that's important to note. So when it comes to uh, the Jewish uh, oral Torah, which is like Talmud, Midrash, Mishnah, any of those things. Uh, if we can't embrace any of those, then we'll really have a hard time embracing the quote unquote Bible because it's really in the same category as far as it was handed over and it was canonized. So important to note that Matthew through Revelation was canonized by non-Jews for the simple fact of an agenda which uh, kind of, you know, is kind of interesting that that would occur. But as it would be, Hashem is still sovereign over any agenda. So even though it may have come from a place of impure motives or impure intentions, just like, would it, just like it is when a person who comes to Torah with impure motives, that if they really hearken to the Torah that they read and study, that eventually they will become pure. Uh, this is taught in so many different Musar works uh, and Pirkei Avot and, and things like that. Uh, 
that it, it would also be the same for this canon. Hence why we can actually use the, the writings of the Gospels to really understand who the true Mashiach is. And the fact that, you know, when we read any of these letters, that it should actually be uh, points and connected to Torah. So in other words, we have this saying uh, at Sar Shalom that there's nothing new in the New Testament because there really isn't. And um, on the Haftarah series podcast that I have, which is always about the prophets that tie back to the Torah portions for the weekly readings. We were talking about calling it reruns because many of these concepts you are going to end up finding out like the image of the invisible God or, you know, uh, now we have the veil removed and we can see uh, deeper things and the inner meanings of Torah and uh, you know, our heart being circumcised as opposed to just our flesh being circumcised. Like all of that is found in the Jewish literature. So anyway, so what for what that's worth, I want to make sure that we uh, recast the vision and the scope and the intent behind this series. And uh, to quote the Rebbe Zine of Sar Shalom, Rebbe Zine Griffin just want to shout her out. She is legit. Uh, she said, oh, we're paving the Roman road to Jerusalem. Is that what we're doing? I was like, that is correct. That's exactly what we're doing. The Roman road, contrary to popular belief, does not lead to Vatican City. It leads to Jerusalem. That's what Shaul originally intended. And we're going to make sure that that intent actually goes through. So without further ado, we are going to finish chapter two with the help of Hashem. So we will pick up uh, in verse 25 as my previous podcasting on this series ended on verse 24. And we are in the middle of talking about circumcision. So um, just to read from 24, uh, I'm going to be reading from the Hebrew English translation of the letter. Uh, I have a translation of that. And then I also have the Orthodox Jewish Bible. So before I get into the Orthodox Jewish Bible, because it is a very interesting read, uh, it has a lot of Yiddish in there, which is uh, a, a mix of Hebrew and German Jewish terms. So, uh, so yeah, so that's one of the things to kind of note. So verse 24 reads, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Goyim through you as it is written. So we're talking about the name of Hashem, which we know is the yod Hey and the vav and Hey, the four-letter name of Hashem that is always tried to be pronounced as all sorts of wrong uh, ways to do it, just to be honest and blunt on that, or not just to be honest, but just to be factual, because... No one knows how to pronounce that name. And it's important to note that if you read about Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, if you do a study on that, and that was the only day of the year that the divine name was actually pronounced out loud. And the only way that name was pronounced was via the Shekinah, which is the presence of Hashem. So the the voice of Hashem, the presence of Hashem would actually speak through the high priest, which is Kohen Hagadol. So 
and actually it says that he would actually swallow and the Shekinah would speak through his mouth as he was swallowing. So just trying to put that together in your head, you're like, how can you speak in the middle of swallowing? Such is the nature of Hashem, or shall we say the super nature of Hashem, that when we should be unable to speak, he can speak. This is why Moshe, Moses, is a precedent that's beautiful to look at because Hashem at the burning bush with Moshe said, you know, did I not make the mouth? You tell me that you have trouble speaking. Uh, hello, you're looking at the author and perfecter and finisher of your mouth, your speaking faculty. And it's just like, okay, well, I don't know what other excuse I have, so I guess I'll just go and do what you told me. And really, that's what it boils down to. And you think about us as believers that sometimes we come up with excuses and Hashem is like, uh, hello, I'm the author of what you're using as an excuse. Am I not uh, able to fix your deficiency? Am I not able to be shown strong in your weakness? And then you're just like, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess you're like miraculous and stuff. And I'm powerless without you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I mean, Yeshua said the same thing. So why do I think I'm better than Yeshua, who was, you know, the Torah made flesh and stuff. So I guess I'll just go ahead and be obedient. And Hashem is like, thank you. <laughs> Todah Rabbah. So uh, anyway, so yeah, so the name of Hashem is blasphemed among the Goyim. Why? Let's go back another verse. In verse 23, it says, you make your boast of the law through breaking the law. Okay. And you dishonor God. So do you not dishonor God because you do this? And so there's this thing about, okay, so you're going to say, yeah, I'm super tour observant and I got this. And then it's just like, but you just, you know, said you kept Shabbat, but yet you just went out to a unkosher restaurant on Shabbat. And it's just like, yeah, I know, but you should keep Torah, you know, don't be a pagan. It's just like, well, if you're going to call yourself Torah observant, you just deviated from it. And so now you're causing blasphemy to the name of Hashem. You're literally blasphemy comes from the word in Hebrew, meaning to pierce. Uh, at the end of Leviticus, there is a, a young gentleman who uh, basically blasphemed the name of Hashem and he was sentenced to death by stoning because he was unrepentant, first of all, when you start reading the oral Torah behind that, such things like the, the Talmud and, you know, Midrash and all sorts of commentaries from the Humash, which is a uh, compilation of Genesis through Deuteronomy with the prophets that are the Haftarah portions attached and so if you have a Humash, you'll have every single Torah portion with its accompanying Haftarah portion. So that way you can actually read through the whole Torah and do select sections of the prophets within a period of a year. So anyway, when you read those commentaries, it talks about this man who blasphemed Hashem and it uses the illustration of him piercing the name of Hashem. Blasphemy is likened to being pierced, the name of Hashem being pierced. Hence why Yeshua HaMashiach was actually sentenced to death by crucifixion because he was said to have blasphemed the name of Hashem. So Mashiach Yeshua being a manifestation of the name of Hashem because the Torah is the name of Hashem and because like the word of a God is the name of God. 
So when the word of God became flesh, it's like the name of God became flesh. And so it was pierced because that was the accusation. So it was important to note that those were improper trials, unfair accusations, uh, false claims, if you will. And uh, yeah, so that led to him being pierced. So just another little facet of the diamond on that. That's not the only reason he was pierced, but that's one of the many. All right. So there is this whole concept about boasting in the law, saying that, yes, you should do it. And yes, you're wrong if you don't. But yet the very people who say these things are the ones who actually break it. And when you do that, you cause the name of Hashem to be pierced among the nations. The word goyim, Gentiles, nations, those are all the same word. And this is the word that's always, always, always used for non-Jews. So Shaul is talking about the non-Jews seeing the name of God be pierced. So this is really cool when you think about the fact of looking upon the one that we have pierced, as is written in Zechariah, and mourning for him as if he was a firstborn son. So there's that. All right. So on to our portion for this podcast. 21 minutes later. <laughs> All right. But who's counting? All right. It says, verse 25, for circumcision which important to note, this word is actually Mila, which is all about the removal of the foreskin, not only of the actual flesh, but also of your heart. Mila in Judaism was always seen as a spiritual and a physical thing. This is why when you have a belief in the word of God and in Hashem, which is kind of the same thing, um, you always have to believe it in your heart as well as speak it out with your mouth. This is why one of the, the tools that you use when you study Torah is you're actually supposed to recite the Torah out loud as you're studying it. Because as you're reading it, it's going into your heart. And then as you're speaking it, it's also flowing out of your heart. So you have this in and out going on, like the cycling of a water through a filter, if you will. And that's what's happening. That's how you're actually mikvahed, which is like you're immersed, which uh, happens to you when you study the word of God. It's like going through the waters of a mikvah. And so you go in by reading it, taking it into your being. You're like eating it uh, is another way you can say it. And then as you're speaking it, it's coming out of you. So you remember, it's not what goes in the, of a person that makes them impure. It's what comes out that makes them impure or pure. And so if you think about you're taking in the pure word of God, the living waters of God, the spirit of God, which is what the word is. And as you speak it out, it's going to come out and it's going to purify you, uh, not only as it's going in, but as it's coming out. So you have a heart and a mouth being cleansed. It's also important to note that when it comes to Milah, there are three aspects of a person that is uh, that undergoes Milah, which is the word for circumcision. It's your ears, it's your lips, and it's your heart. And then obviously, if you're a guy, it's your, your male organ. So there's all of that. But for everybody, regardless of male and female, it's your ears, your lips, and your heart that are all have to be circumcised. So... 
Hence why, again, you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And how can you believe and how can you confess if you have not heard? And the only way to hear is to remove the foreskin of your ears, that which blocks. So we'll talk about the foreskin and all that in just a little bit, because that is a Hebrew word called orla. And so we'll look into orla in just a little bit because it's an interesting term. Okay, so circumcision verily prophets, as it is put here, to read from the Orthodox Jewish Bible, it says, for Mila is an asset. Okay, so it's profitable. It's profitable. There we go. It's profitable. And it says it's profitable if you keep the law. Okay, and in my Hebrew English, it says, Im Tishmor et HaTorah. Which means if you're Shomer, if you are guarding and keeping and watching the Aleph Tav, which is all inclusive, the beginning and the end, HaTorah of the Torah. It's important to note the beginning of the Torah starts with a letter called Bet. And the end of the Torah is a letter called Lamet. So your Aleph, which is your beginning, and your Bet or in your Tav, which is your ending of Torah, is Bet and Lamet. Those two letters, when you put them together, Lamet Bet, if you spell it backwards, is the word for Lev. So literally, the Lev is the Torah, like Ha Torah, or the heart of God. So the heart of God is the Torah. This is what Jewish commentary talks about. Hashem spoke to his heart when he was talking about we shall make man in our image, as is written in Bereshit, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. So the whole Torah is the heart of God, the first and the last word. You have Bereshit, which is with Reshit, not in the beginning. Bereshit does not mean in the beginning. So that would be very important to note, because in Hebrew, the word Bereshit literally is with Rashid or in Rashid. And what is Rashid? Rashid is firstborn, first fruit, the wisdom of God, Torah. Okay, so in or with the Torah is the first word of Genesis. And then the last word of the Torah is Yisrael. So you take those two words, put them together. Bereshit Yisrael, in or with the firstborn, is Israel. Those who strive with God and man and are victorious. Or the upright of God, because Yisrael breaks down into two words, Yeshar El, upright of God. So, that's a little Aleph Tav lesson on the Torah. Okay, and, and obviously Yeshua, or Hashem, is the Aleph Tav. That's attached to Mashiach. That's also attached to Hashem himself. If you read Yeshayahu, which is Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And you can also read Revelation, where Revelation is spoken to Yeshua. And Isaiah, Hashem was speaking uh, first person, saying, I am the first and I am the last. And then in Revelation, it says, you are the Aleph and you are the Tav. Commonly called Alpha and Omega, but that's Greek. And that's actually translated from Aleph and Tav. First and last. Okay. 
So Mila is only profitable. It's only an asset if you keep the Aleph Tav of Torah. But, which means there's a here's our here's our opposite. So what was just mentioned? This is a true statement. Now let's look at the opposite side of this coin. It says, but you are a breaker of the Torah. Your circumcision is made uncircumcision. It says, but if you are mephir, which is a violator of Torah, your mila has become orla. All right. So let's just do a quick little search on orla real quick. I'm going to swerve away from my notes for a second. And I just want to do a little drop on Orla. So Orla is always translated as forbidden. And uh, let's see here. Uh, we're going to drop in. Hmm. Let's drop in on the Mishnah Bikurim 2.6. It's a piece of Jewish literature. It says, it is similar to a tree in respect of Orla, fourth year plantings, and the law of the seventh year, fourth year plantings. Okay, because a tree is considered Orla when you plant a fruit tree or any tree that bears something that you can partake of it. For the first three years, you're actually not allowed to partake of any of the produce of it. So this is called Orla. So the first three years of a tree, which obviously translates to uh, mankind, because men are likened to trees of the field. Uh, the righteous are likened to trees planted in the courtyards of Hashem. So men like trees is a common statement made actually throughout uh, Jewish writings. This is why Yeshua would say you you shall know a tree by its fruit. And remember that fruit during the first three years. So if you are brand new to Torah and you're trying to give out fruit in your first three years, people should not be able to partake of it because of the Orla principle. This is why it's important to uh, when you convert or when you begin to learn and study Torah and, you know, Come up with your own ideas. Give yourself three years of time. And in that fourth year, it's between you and Hashem. Because the fourth year fruit of a tree after this Orla process uh, is that you bring it to the temple in Jerusalem and you partake of the fruit there. Or since we don't have a temple today, you would actually go to Jerusalem and partake of the fruit in Jerusalem. But uh, after that point or I should say after the fourth year. So now we're looking at the fifth year and beyond that when the tree produces, and again, there's a seven year cycle. The seventh year is always a Shemitah year, which is a sabbatical year, a Shabbat year, if you will, that uh, you don't harvest fruit for your own purposes in that year. That year, you just let whatever grow grows and uh, you don't actually go out to the field to glean and bring it in. Um, strangers, orphans, widows, and, and people of that nature are freely able to go into any vineyard, any field, and partake of whatever is growing there, uh, because that year it's just a free-for-all. So this is how God's economy works. In the seventh year, everything is 
open, wide open for everybody. If you're in debt, your debt gets cleared up. That's where the whole bankruptcy process kind of overlays with Torah concepts uh, that, you know, you have seven years of whatever. Then you have the fact that, um, you know, this fruit that you partake of that, you know, it's you didn't grow it. And, you know, the person who did grow it, it doesn't belong to them. Everything belongs to a shim during that year. So the farmer, he has a whole year off. So he's got extra time to study and he's going to be able to possibly meet new people should he open his heart to that. And it's like, hey, I didn't know you. And it's like, yeah, you know, you probably don't see me because I know this is your your field. But, you know, it's a Shemitah year. So, you know, my name's Bob and I'm here to take your fruit today because I need it. And uh, it doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. But uh, Hashem said, you know, people are freely allowed to go and get the fruit this year. And the animals who are, you know, uh, undomesticated or whatever, they can go out into the field and freely eat. So if you have raccoons and possums and stuff that want to come into your vineyard, they're going to have a feast and you can't kick them out because it's the Shemitah year. Also happens during the 70th year, which is called the Jubilee, which is like the Shemitah of Shemitahs. So when you have a Jubilee, it's important to note the Jubilee 70th year, uh, that's kind of like a big, big thing, you know? So, I mean, uh, Sleekah, not the 70th, I apologize, is the 50th. So your Jubilee, so you got 49 and 50 because seven cycles of seven have to go forth. And then that next round, which will be the beginning of a new seven, but it'll actually be the 50th year. Uh, that'll actually be following a Shemitah year. So a super Shemitah is going to follow a normal Shemitah. So you're, you're going to be off for two years. So think about that. You know, you're like, oh, it's year number 49. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Hashem said in his Torah that in the sixth year, I'm going to give you a double portion so that when the seventh year comes, you're not only going to have enough for the seventh year, but you're also going to have enough for the seventh year and the eighth year, because the eighth year is the beginning of a new cycle of seven. And you're going to get back out there, replant, probably going to have a lot of weeds to pull up. And so, you know, I'm going to already have everything taken care of for you because you listen to me. And because you listen to me, I do supernatural things for you that don't make any human sense because I use the wisdom I use the foolishness of the world to confound the wise because that's how I roll. That's how God is, you know. So during your eighth year, while you're planning new stuff, you're still living off stuff from the previous years. So anyway, when it gets to a, uh, a jubilee, which is Yovel in Hebrew, you're going to have like a triple double or double double portion because now you got to wait two years instead of one before you can replant. So just a little thing on Orla. And so... When you look at the fruit uh, and when you look at uncircumcision, that's all called orla, which is actually what's used at the end of verse 25 in our passage here. Le orla. It's called made uncircumcision. So the phrase is haita leka le orla. It has been it has become to you le orla to forbidden or too uncircumcised so you undo this miraculous thing with a shim when you become a violator of the torah and what we're, what we're talking about is a violator it uses the word 
over. This literally means you cross over. It's important to note when you convert to Judaism, undergoing the waters of a mikvah, uh, undergoing, uh, getting rid of idolatry, paganism, you know, leaving your old traditions that are not Jewish. When you forsake those things, you cross over, so to speak, from death into life. And so conversion starts via the spirit working inside of a person. This is why even before you enter the waters of a mikvah, a person must already be, quote unquote, circumcised. And so physically is uh, there's a debate on this in Jewish oral law that uh, not to be confused with or law or roll law versus or or law is completely different. You know, it sounds the same. It's completely different. Or law is uncircumcision. Oral law is the 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 teachings that are brought down that are not written in Torah. So this is Talmud again, Midrash, uh, all of the ancient commentaries, the Targums, things like that. So when you're looking at this aspect of, you know, a, a person who's converted, you know, whether they're physically circumcised or spiritually circumcised, one of those two have to take effect before you enter into the water of a mikvah. Because if you haven't crossed over, if you haven't become over from sin, from idolatry, from paganism, from being non-Jewish, from uh, traditions that are not Jewish, you know, and things like that. If you haven't come from those things, then even if you do undergo the conversion process, which, by the way, if you're a guy, you get circumcised and uh, everybody else, you know, male or female, you definitely have to go through a mikvah and you also have to bring a korban, which is a sacrifice. Hence why Mashiach Yeshua has to be considered a sacrifice, you know, because in, in lieu of having a temple, we do have a sacrifice that we get to bring and it's called the Mashiach's atoning work that was done on the crucifixion stake for all of mankind, past, present, and future. Stillborns included. So when you think about, you know, babies who are born in the womb or, you know, newborn babies or things like that, very tragic uh, circumstances where there was barely any life lived, Mashiach's uh, death, burial, and resurrection makes atonement for them and actually brings them into salvation with Hashem because the word of God it rolls like that so what glorious mercy that is and uh, what amazing comfort that brings you know so Hashem is just He's, he either is or he isn't so you know there's that but anyway this word over so if you become a if you come over at Torah, if you become over to doing all of the Torah, like if you forsake all of it, like you're just like whatever to being obedient, whatever to listening to the voice of Hashem, whatever to today hearing his voice, whatever to being attached to Hashem, whatever to keeping the Shabbat, whatever to being circumcised. If you become like that, you now do this supernatural thing where you apply yourself back into the concept and the principle and the dominion of or which is uncircumcision. 
So it's like a reverse conversion, if you will, which is kind of crazy because you would think once saved, always saved. Once converted, always converted. Like you go through this dramatic and drastic process. How is it possible to become uncircumcised? How is it possible to become uncovenant? You know, but this is the way that you can do it. If you're going to say from Aleph to Tav with the Torah, I'm crossing over, I'm crossing away from it. That is possible. And you have to really think, how? How is that possible? Well, we don't know the answer to that. That's probably why the writer to the Hebrews said, you know, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. So, and we'll just leave it at that. He left it at that. Why don't we? But anyway, continuing on, verse 26. It says, therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? So in other words, what about this person who's not circumcised physically, who's not circumcised spiritually? It is actually brought down in the passage of Deuteronomy uh, about removing the foreskin of your heart. Let's see if we can do that verse here. Didn't plan on sharing this, but I'm going to. So, yes, Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, Devarim 10, 16. Let me give you some Rashi commentary. Rashi is like one of the most... Um, foundational commentators on Torah. So if you see anything in Rashi, this is like without even getting into mystical concepts or super deep concepts, this is like, let me give you just a plain meaning. It's called Pashat, one of the levels of study in Torah. It says, you shall circumcise the foreskin of your heart, which is the foreskin of your heart, or lat levavkim, uh, circ which is uh, the foreskin of your heart. It says, this means you shall remove the closure and the cover that is on your hearts, which prevent my words from gaining entrance to them. So in other words, Orla is a barrier. It is a block. It is barbed wire. It is the steel door of allowing something entrance. So let's look at this. So if we have a person. Who is, it says, Lakain im yishmor he arel et mishpote hatorah. So, therefore, if this person with such a barrier keeps the commandments or the laws, which is mishpate, the judgments of Hashem. There's a whole Torah portion called Mishpatim, which are like the civil laws and things like that. There's uh, different aspects to the laws of the Torah or the commandments. There are testimonial laws, which are known as Edut. Uh, there are civil laws, which is known as Mishpatim. And there are statutes, which is known as Hukim. Uh, statutes are like the the commandments that seemingly make no sense, like how in the world is the red heifer supposed to purify someone from death? Like this animal that has to die because this per because this animal dies, it's going to bring purification from death to a human being. 
It's like, okay, I don't get it. And besides, it has to be a person who is in a state of ritual purity that has to prepare this this substance of the ashes of the red heifer. And because this pure person does this service, they themselves become impure and they cause the person who these ashes are sprinkled on to become pure. So you have an animal, a pure animal that has to die. And then the pure person takes this death. And in the process of passing this purification to this impure person, they themselves are going to become impure. So now if you connect a few dots real quick, you can see he who knew no sin, he who was pure, he who was righteous, took on impurity, unrighteousness, sin, and through that, they brought purification, righteousness, and cleansing to the other. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of Hashem, of God. Uh, that is written to Corinth. Uh, Shaul wrote to the Corinthians. He wrote that down. So anyway, so you can kind of see how, again, these concepts are already there in Torah. So anyway, uh, paving that Roman road to Jerusalem. Uh, all roads lead, should lead to Jerusalem. So if you find Hashem, connect yourself to Hashem, that is possible. So this is why the Torah can be all things to all people. Because no matter who you are, no matter where you are, the Torah was sent out to the four corners of the earth through sent ones, which are called Shliakim. And they were supposed to take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. So, there's that. Anyway, um, so yeah, so this person keeps this, uh, this judgment of, of the Torah. And it's like, so if they themselves have this barrier and this block, but somehow the words of God is getting in, you know, kind of like Yeshua when he came into the Talmudim, when they were sitting up in the room and they had the doors locked and they were like, I don't know what's going on. Yeshua died. He's supposed to be the Mashiach. He's supposed to deliver us and he's supposed to bring salvation to the world. But yet he's dead. And he said he was going to come back, but he hasn't come back yet. And all of a sudden he shows up and he's like, Shalom. And it's like, it ever says Yeshua opened the door. It has this inference that he like walked through the walls or either just appeared or something anyway there was a secure area and he was still somehow able to get in such is the way of Hashem because he's so legiticus that he's able to penetrate this barrier this cover and this closure and he can still get inside somebody who is uncircumcised whether physically or spiritually to cause them such a drastic change and such an obedience that they uphold the standards of the Torah. And so Shaul is writing that when a person does that, their orla becomes mila. He literally says, Te chashev lo, and it shall become to him. Orlato le mila, his uncircumcision to circumcision. Wow. So, I mean, this is kind of the, the picture of, you know, we don't really know who is or who isn't, you know, for the covenant of Hashem, because there are some people who say, oh, yeah, I love God. And you're like, really? So, you know, 
what's like your favorite holiday? And it's like, if it's anything other than the eight festivals of Hashem, and there are eight, because <laughs> you have to count the Shabbat. If it's like, I don't know, some crazy holiday that's not in the Torah. And it's just like, oh, that's interesting that you keep that holiday, even though it has no uh, bearing whatsoever to the holidays that we were commanded to keep or anything that developed from the history of our people, namely like Hanukkah or Purim. Because this one time, uh, the nations, the non-Jews tried to kill us and Hashem had to perform miracles to keep us alive. And so that's kind of a big deal, you know, when it comes to the Jews. So Hanukkah and Purim, these are not light days, you know, pun intended, I guess, or no pun intended, because Hanukkah is about light and um, Purim is about concealed light. Because, you know, Hashem is concealed in the story of Purim, which is Esther. The story of Esther is, is called the Festival of Purim. This is why we actually dress up on that day. We conceal the true light, the, con the true identity uh, to talk about the miraculous miracle and deliverance of Hashem in a very concealed way. So our dressing up is not about being demons or being witches or being risque nurses or, you know, trying to use an opportunity to dress up and be something else other than who we are just for the fun of it and to take candy from people. But we actually dress up in modest attire uh, and something virtuous, something righteous, something light, not dark, you know, nothing evil, something good. And we actually give away things. We actually make baskets, gift baskets for people. You know, anyone who has uh, not enough money to pay their bills, you know, will give them, you know, food or, you know, gift cards of some sort and, you know, write them a, a beautiful note to go with that and give that as a gift. And we'll do it anonymously. And again, another way to conceal. And then we also read the story of Esther. We read Esther from Aleph to Ta, from beginning to end, and we do it in character. So many of us take on different accents or different personas like an actor would, and we'll read that story. Uh, this last time I got to pr participate in Purim, I got to be, uh, what was his name? Uh, Carlos, I think, from the Ant-Man and he's the one that's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So like, uh, okay, like, so there was a story, like there was this one time and like, and then I was doing this and then I was doing that. And that person was like, oh, what? And then, you know, so anyway, from the Ant-Man movie. So anyway, yeah, I'm already getting back into character goodness. Okay, so yeah. So anyway, you kind of dress up. And so that's pouring. And then you have Hanukkah, we're celebrating light. You know, this one time that the Greeks came in and was like, yeah, offer pigs on the altar. And it doesn't matter what Hashem told you to do. Uh, so what if you have to have your oil for the the menorah a certain way? Just use regular oil. Use cooking oil, vegetable oil if you want to. You don't need olive oil, canola oil, coconut oil, whatever. And it's like, no, I'm going to go with Hashem for 300 on this one. Yeah. So anyway, so this that's the implications of different holidays. So anyway, you have a person who is so to speak, physically or spiritually with air quotes uncircumcised. And here they are saying, you know what? One of my favorite holidays. Oh, I love Sukkot. And you're like, what is Sukkot? Festival of Tabernacles. What do you do with that? 
Uh, well, you know, we live outside for basically seven days, and on the eighth day, we have this really big festival celebrating the ending and the beginning of the Torah. We read the last part of Deuteronomy and the first chapter of Genesis, and, you know, so we dance with the Torah and all this kind of stuff. It's a beautiful day, and we pray to Hashem for salvation and stuff. So, yeah, we get saved, and uh, it's a beautiful festival. It's a beautiful holiday. It's like, oh. I didn't know you were Jewish. It's like, well, I am now. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it's literally as simple as that, you know. So it, it seems so like crazy because today in modern times, it's like, oh, you got to jump through this hoop. You got to jump through that hoop. And it's just like either you're for Hashem or you're not. And it's as simple as that. And that literally determines if you're Orla versus Mila. So if you're not with Hashem, welcome to Orla land. Chasve Shalom. But if you're with Hashem, like if you're for Hashem, then welcome to Mila land, which is amazing. If you're against Hashem, Orla. If you're with Hashem, Mila. So that's verse 26. I think that's super incredible and powerful when you just stop to think about that. Hashem can penetrate even the darkest of hearts, the most closed of hearts. You know, it just depends on if that person is willing to draw themselves to Hashem or not. Because, you know, you read the story of the Exodus at the beginning of the book of Exodus, which is in Hebrew Shemot. Uh, you read the beginning of that story and there's this guy named Pharaoh. And he's like a very wicked person. He's trying to kill the Jews and trying to keep the people in Egypt in bondage and slavery and sin and death. Keep them away from God, keep them away from Torah, keep them away from the law of Moses, keep them away from being filled with the spirit and all that kind of stuff. Like even he uh, could have been brought from Orla to Mila, but he didn't choose to. But such is the way of Hashem that he's just like, you know what? You have such an empower, such an incredible power that I'm going to leave it up to you. What are you going to do with it? Because in Judaism, it's taught everything in our life before we're born is already set, prepared and sealed for us. The only thing that's not set, prepared and sealed is whether or not we will be righteous. That's up to us. So it's like you can grow up in a non-Jewish environment. You can be like the most horrible person ever growing up. But it's like at some point in your life, if you decide to walk in righteousness, you have that ability, you know, so it's not just, oh, I have to be a product of my environment. Hashem is like, no, 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 because even a person of Orla be can become a person of Mila. Continuing on, it says in verse 27, I guess we're not really going to read the Orthodox Jewish Bible today. Maybe next time. It says in verse 27, and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, Okay, uncircumcision, by the way, is a natural thing. This is where I want to bring in one of my favorite pieces of Jewish literature called the Jewish wisdom of the numbers. Numbers are super important and it comes from Torah. Because did you know, if you didn't already, every Hebrew letter has a numerical value. Every Hebrew word has a numerical value. And so this is a system called numerology or commonly known as gematria. 
And so when you do this, it's an automatic system of cross-references. So because of the numerical value of these words, they match up with other words that have the same value. And so when you connect the dots to these two things that you see the, um, the relationship, for instance, it says et haor, uh, the light God's said, let there be light. You know, if you're reading in Genesis, so let me go to that actual verse. It's in Genesis chapter one. And it actually uses this word at or in verse four. It says, Vayar or Vayar Elohim at or Kitov. God saw that the light was good. So when Yeshua was saying, Why do you call me good? There's only one who is good, and that is Hashem. So wait. Even the Torah has stated here that Hashem said the light was good. Literally, it's using et ha'or. Et ha'or has the gematria of 613. 613 just so happens to be the number of commandments that Hashem has given us in the Torah. And it's also the numerical value of the number of organs and sinews in the human body. There are 248 organs and 365 sinews. 248 plus 365 equals 613. So literally our bodies were made to keep the 613, the Torah. So when you look at 613, 613 is all about Torah. It's all about the light. It's all about what is called good, which is the word, which is the light, which is the commandments, which is Hashem, because they're all related. This is why we're made in the image of Hashem. So let's talk about circumcision by nature. If you look at the number eight, the number eight, it says an otherworldly existence. It's important to note Mila happens to a man on the eighth day. When you circumcise a male child, it should happen on the eighth day. Unless there is some kind of medical emergency where that cannot happen. And there is all sorts of mercy and grace. Yes, I said it. Grace. The law is where grace comes from. This is why it says the law came through Moshe, but grace came through Yeshua. Because remember, who is the law? It's the word of God who became flesh, which is Yeshua. So if Moshe is bringing down the word, well, what's in the word? Grace. So the only way to really experience true grace is to have the law of God. If you're saying that you have grace apart from the law of God, that's called irresponsibility. And it's also called bondage. Because if you really look back in history, all the way up to today, those who have preached the message of grace, which means we get what we don't deserve and we get that through being disobedient. What has that done to the world? That has brought in transgender uh, things, that has brought in same-sex marriages, that has brought in a forgetting of the Shabbat. Now the Shabbat can be whatever day you want it to be. And it's brought in, we don't know anything about the holidays God commanded us, but we do know a lot about uh, all these corporate holidays and all of these commercial holidays. And we even say that, you know, the Messiah of God is the reason for these commercial and secular holiday seasons. 
and we talk about church. We talk about anything other than a synagogue, which is important to note when you want to go to an establishment that actually has a Torah scroll treated with the reverence that it's supposed to have. Because remember, the Torah is the heart of God. So you think about what's happening with the heart of God. Where is the heart of God placed? You know, it's in a synagogue. The heart of God is literally the Torah scroll. And if you go to a church, if you go to any other establishment besides a synagogue, chances are you don't see a Torah scroll. If you've seen a Torah scroll, you're like, what is that? Because it has Hebrew writings on it. It's actually made from a kosher animal that has been sacrificed. Um, when we don't have a temple, it hasn't been sacrificed. Because it's important to note, you don't make sacrifices unless there's a temple. So today, we do what's called kosher slaughter, shakita. You'll learn this through the Torah portions, specifically in Leviticus. Uh, it talks about, you know, the slaughtering of animals. And so you have to look in the oral Torah to find out what does that mean? Because if you kill an animal apart from kosher slaughtering it, you're basically uh, making an animal trafe. You're uh, strangling this animal. So in the letter of Acts or in the writings of Acts, when it talks about restraining or refraining from eating flesh or meat of animals that have been strangled, that's talking about any animal that has not been kosher slaughtered, you're not to eat it. So think about that for a second, because unkosher food, unkosher meat in particular, beef, chicken, deer, goat, you know, some of the main things that are served on menus, if it's not kosherly slaughtered, it's considered to be meat that is strangled. So even if you want to say that believers in Yeshua are kept to three or four laws, then Kosher eating is one of them. And as Rabbi Griffin of Sar Shalom and Lapid has said that uh, kosher eating brought down from Jewish literature is literally called a prerequisite to holiness. It is literally the foundation of studying and learning Torah. So anyway, all of that aside to the point here about circum uncircumcision being a thing of nature uh, the word used here in chapter 27, it says, Ve-he-arel mi leda ham kayem et ha-torah halohu. So it says, and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature. Okay, uh, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge you who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. And so shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfills the law, judge you. So like this whole concept of circumcision being natural, then we'll tackle the rest of that verse. So looking at the nature of uncircumcision, it says, on the wisdom of the Jewish numbers, uh, page 125, by the way, this writing is by uh, Osher Chaim Levine with Rabbi Yehoshua Hartman. It's important to note, Yehoshua is the word Yeshua. So Rabbi Yeshua <laughs> basically is weighing in with this author of this book. Anyway, it says the natural in the natural world, nature, 
man is uncircumcised. By the way, before we fell from grace in this in the garden, when we ate the orla, the forbidden fruit, uh, Hashem said, "You're not allowed to eat from that tree yet. It's orla." And we're like, "Yeah, whatever. We're gonna eat. We want the knowledge of good and evil." Hashem's like, "No, you don't." But okay, I'll give you power of free power of free will, and you're like, yeah, "Okay, I'll take it." So because of that, um, we now are born uncircumcised. Before that, we were born circumcised. There are particular people. Noah was one of them. Uh, Jacob, Yaakov, he was another one. And um, let's see, Moshe was another one who was born uncircumcised or born circumcised. Uh, there are more people, but uh, those people, those were ones in particular. So there are special things on that. And that's for another time. But it's important to note that the uh, unfallen state of man is be circumcised. So really, when we're getting circumcised, we're going back, as it were, to mankind before we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which would have meant we would have never got kicked out of the garden. There would have never been any death, pain, suffering, and sickness in the world. Notice the result of us eating whatever we want and not listening to Hashem, being disobedient, made us become uncircumcised because we violated the law of God. We just read about this a couple of verses ago and even this letter. And then uh, we see the results as well from the, the account written in Bereshit. Genesis. So there's that. But anyway, continuing on, it says through the ceremony on the eighth day, the circumcised Jew enters into a special breed, which is covenant. So Mila is attaching ourselves to breed. This is why it's commonly called breed Mila, the covenant of circumcision. So when this happens, the breed, it says, is with God. This elevates him over and above the natural world. Here he takes his place as a proud member of a people. Here, so through circumcision, okay, which brings us into breed. Okay, so this is spiritual and physical. So if you have Orla removed from your heart, you have Orla removed from your spirit your your uh your flesh or your heart okay all of the above that's going to put you in breed with the shem and you're going to become a proud member of a people whose covenant declares that their life force their source of life basically exclusively exists for god see this is the thing when you undergo Mila, you now become a Brit, you now become in covenant, and your only existence is for Hashem. This is why it is also written in one of the letters of Shaul that um, it is no longer I that live, but Mashiach, remember, which is the Torah that lives in me. So it's like the word of God lives in me. So there's that. And now you uphold the word of God by default because that is now your new existence. This is why you live. It's like uh, the men in black movies. You know, this is the last suit you'll ever wear. And it's like, well, I'll make this suit look good. It's like, well, welcome to circumcision. 
You're going to make Breet look good. All right. Anyway, it says, in turn, their survival through the millennia against all odds is nothing short of miraculous. Ain't that the truth? There can be no doubting that it clearly lies above nature. In other words, the only reason Jews still exist and will always exist is because we are supernatural. We do not uh, conform to the patterns and to the standards of nature. Yes, if we fall from a very high point, we will hurt ourselves. Uh, we still get hungry. We still get sleepy. But our life force is not exclusively attached to nature. So this is how we can take one day of the week, which is the, the seventh day, which is called the Shabbat, and not work, not cook, uh, not engage in commerce, and totally be fine. And, you know, time that we could be using to make progress on projects, we go, okay, Hashem, this is your day. I'm going to spend my time praying. I'm going to spend my time studying Torah, spend my time at shul, spend my time in community with Mishpacha. And I'm not going to worry about any losses that I could gain. You know, I own my own business. And the day that I could take for work and catch up on a lot of things is the weekend, so to speak. Uh, Hashem is like, yeah, are you going to trust me or are you going to trust yourself? And you're like, uh, yes, I'll trust you because I'm, I'm in breed, you know, circumcised. I'm not a part of nature, nature. I'm in the world, but not of it kind of thing. And he's like, okay, good. Cause if you do that, I'm gonna make some miraculous things happen. That literally, there are so many stories of that, you know, uh, my wife is one of them. So anyway, says, uh, the grand introduction to Jewish living through Brit Milah marks entry into a deeply into a life deeply committed to Torah, whose otherworldly stature is limited or Slika. I apologize. Slika is I apologize. Okay, so it says, let's read this sentence again. The grand introduction to Jewish living, you can call it cutting edge. The grand introduction to Jewish living through Brit Milah marks entry. Funny, it says marks because you're now your flesh is marked up. So you have a mark of the sign that you belong to Hashem on you. Anyway, entry into a life deeply committed to Torah, because this is why you exist, whose otherworldly nature is similarly reflected in the number eight. So there's that. You're now in divine covenant and you're in the supernatural realm through circumcision. So that's what happens when you physically circumcise your flesh. Think about how much more so your flesh being circumcised in tandem with your heart being circumcised. Letting Hashem in much. Okay, so the rest of this verse, it says, so the person who is not circumcised, they will actually become a judge to those who are circumcised because the circumcised ones being judged are people who have turned away from the Torah. And this is how you have a people who is not a people becoming a people to Hashem and then making the people of Hashem jealous because the people of Hashem who were circumcised, who were living in the supernatural has traded that in, so to speak, because they've turned away from the Aleph Tav of Torah. They've no longer become Shomer to it. And they've now given themselves over to the natural world, the natural standards. Now people who have broken out of the natural standards and come into the supernatural, they now become judges over those 
who are turned, who have turned away, who have crossed over from life into death. So those who cross over from death into life become judges over those who have crossed over from life into death. That's crazy because, you know, there's this only God can judge me attitude and don't judge me attitude. But the thing is, is judging has to happen and it happens through a standard called righteousness, which can only happen through Torah. So we don't really have to judge those who are outside of Torah because the Torah already judges those who are outside of Torah. When you really think about it, because what does the word of God say? You know, and so. Whatever the word of God says, that's really the judge. It's not really us that's judging. We're not able to go out and say, oh, so you you're an apostate Jew or, oh, you've you've uh, you've uncircumcised yourself. How does it feel to be a pagan now? Like, we don't have to say that because the word of God already says that. So Shaul is bringing that down. So it's interesting. So when we talk about judging and all that kind of stuff, it's like, hmm, interesting. Who's the true judge? And it's like Hashem which is his word, which is his heart, his spirit, his Mashiach, his hand, the law of Moses. Okay. Anyway, this is why Yeshua says, you know, I didn't come to judge where I came to save it. You know, and then at the same time, it says the word of God is going to judge. And it's like, but aren't you the word of God? So like, what does that really mean? It's like, okay, put it all together. Building blocks. Okay. This is why Legos is probably like the most Jewish toy a person could ever have. Because this is how you study the word of God. It's like Legos. You have to piece it all together and you have to make sure the right things connect and attach. And if not, your Lego structure will fall apart into a bazillion pieces and somebody in the middle of the night is going to step on them and scream and be really, really frustrated with you and probably ground you for the eternity. And take away your Xbox and PlayStation, all sorts of stuff that will make you sad. It's like, well, if you were to build your Legos properly, if you wouldn't have left them out in the middle of the floor and all this kind of stuff, this never would have happened. I know it. None of us know anything about that. So anyway, I'm going to keep moving. All right. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. This is important. This is probably the most important verse because so many times. The term Yehudi, which is, by the way, the actual term for Jew, because there are no J's in Hebrew. It's actually Yehudi, which means one who casts praise to Hashem, one who is um, a member of the community of those who are in covenant with Hashem. Uh, this word is also known as Hebrew, also known as Ivri, one who has crossed over again, crossing over from death into life. That's a Jew. Uh, so, yeah, so Hebrew, Israelite, Jew, Ivri, Yehudi, those are all the same terms. If there is a dispute on that, all one needs to do is read the Encyclopedia Judaica, read the Targum, okay, the Dictionary of the Targum, and study the Torah portions, and you'll see about that. You know, because study the birth of Judah, the birth of Yehuda. You'll see about that. And read the Midrash says. It's a beautiful commentary that's simple uh, for uh, beginners into Torah and beginner readers and, and Jewish Midrash or Torah. It's an incredible read. And you'll learn about Jews and why Jews are called by the name of Judah. Because Judah is the king. That's where the king comes from. 
the tribe of Judah. And so because the king is ruler over all of the people, we have his name. Hence why Yeshua is called the king of the kings and we have his name declared over us. So there's that. Um, so yeah, so it's not about this outwardly thing. Let's read the Hebrew of this. It says, Kilo. Make sure I'm reading the right verse. 28. Yeah. Kilo hanire mikutsu haihudi. Okay. So it is not in an outward appearance and an outward expression. Re'e. Is the word about seeing and mikuts is the word about outside. So it's not what you see outside that is a Jew. It is what you see inside. Okay. And it says, uh, if we go back to the English here, it says, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. Okay, so it's also not just what you're circumcised, your flesh being circumcised that makes you a Yehudi. Going on to the next verse to show us the flip side of this coin. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. Wow, we finished 25 through 29. Bukashim, the most monumental uh, verses here give us the true definition of a Yehudi. This is why I always love to go to these verses for those who um, don't know really much about Torah, those who are really unaware of the Bible and things like that, and those who aren't understanding of the semantics of, you know, what's a Jew, because it's like, oh, you're only Jewish if your mother's Jewish. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that. Because did not the Torah made flesh, which is Mashiach Yeshua, the Messiah of God, did he not say that we must be born again, born anew from above? How, do you, how does one become born from above? They have to be born of the Spirit of God, which takes place in the waters of a mikvah, which takes place in the heart and the soul and the body of a human being who turns away from sin, who turns away from death, who turns away from disobedience. You know, all these things that go hand in hand. If you turn away from disobedience, if you turn away from idolatry, if you turn away from paganism, if you turn away from non-Jewishness. Okay, you're naturally, if you're a guy, going to go ahead and undergo physical circumcision, because now that you've cleaned the inside of the cup. The outside of the cup is what follows. No one drinks out of something that's clean on the inside, but dirty on the outside. I don't know about you, but you can clean the inside of the cup all you want. I'm still not going to use your cup if the outside of it has grime on it. It's just like, I don't know where that cup has been. Why is it so dirty? It's like, but the inside is clean. Uh, yeah, even if you gave me a straw, I still don't want to drink out of it. I mean, it's still, still just a little uncomfortable. It's just like, okay. Don't worry about the outside of the cup. Just just drink the cup. And it's like, mm, no, nah, I beg to differ on that. I'll go ahead and get myself a cup, <laughs> you know, that's clean on the inside and outside. 
But anyway, uh, if you are a more urban person like myself into like the understanding of hip hop terminology, uh, there is a song that was written a long time ago that says clean on the inside, clean on the outside. And it's a song called Ice Cream Paint Job. I do not recommend that song for anybody that is a part of my Orla past that has been cut off and discarded. But um, you kind of remember things every now and then and you realize, oh, that was kind of an interesting point. For the simple fact to say that even those who are caught up in materiality, they want everything on the inside and the outside clean. Like if I'm going to have a really nice car, my I want my inside clean and I want the outside clean so I can show it off. Like if I had suicide doors in my car, you know, I'd ride with the doors lifted up like open and then you'd see my shiny rims, you see my shiny paint job, and then you see my interior, you know, my dashboard, wood grain, you know, all this kind of stuff, and be like, yeah, check out my ride. I'm gangster. And it's just like, okay. But anyway, it's the same thing with your body. You know, it's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm so for God. I'm on fire for him. He's purified my soul. I'm like resurrected and living life anew. It's like, and... Where's your outward show of that? Because, you know, that is to follow. You know, if you're really uh, going to keep the word of God, you know, you're probably going to look like you keep the word of God. You're probably not going to look like, yeah, I don't keep the word of God. I still, you know, expose all of my skin. I wear really short shorts. I don't wear zit zit. And, um, you know, I eat what I want. Those signs outward expressions that they may be do not show a life of circumcised they show a life of uncircumcised they show a life of disobedience the only time you should wear short shorts as disturbing as that is as a guy is when you're going to bed <laughs> or if you're putting on your boxer briefs and getting ready to put on your outward garments like your pants and stuff but anyway i extremely digress and awkwardly digress <laughs> so very disturbing, but very true. So uh, what I want to close with is some super deep concepts that I uh, actually have in my notes because I have not used my notes since the beginning of this podcast. OK, so this is from the Torah or slash Lakute Torah. It's Hasidic commentary actually on the tour portion of this week uh according to this podcast it is the week of lek leka so uh lek leka is go for yourself or go to yourself is the actual translation uh, and it is in the uh writings of bereshit uh starting in chapter 12 verse 1 genesis chapter 12 1 it's the beginning of that tour portion and it's talking about avraham which his name is written as Avram, but it's actually uh, halakhically inappropriate to uh, address Avraham by his former name because that would insinuate that he is childless and not the father of the Jewish nation and those who would convert to Judaism in the future. So uh, the importance of names are such that, you know, even one who has had a name changed by Hashem, uh, you don't even refer to him by his former name. It's a completely different story with Yaakov, who his name is also called Israel. So Yaakov, Israel, or Jacob in Israel, 
um, that's a different story than Avram to Avraham. So anyway, just a little note on that, that uh, even if you see it written Avram, you still pronounce it Avraham. But anyway, just a side note. So in this Hasidic piece of commentary, it says this is a very deep concept. So follow me for a little bit and we'll try to come back and bring it down to earth. But we're going to fly way up into the cosmos. Uh, this is why my name is Shomerman, because I am the Shomer version of Iron Man, uh, E-S-I-R, and uh, I love flying around. So we're going to go ahead and put all the afterburners on and burst way up into the stratosphere. Ready? Here we go. As a prerequisite for the revelation of the level of Avram, which means the great father. Avraham had to perform the mitzvah of Milah. Okay? Before Avraham could have a super great revelation. Okay? Because you'll notice a drastic difference in the life of Avraham after his circumcision. Namely, that he has Yitzhak, he does, uh, the, which is Isaac. He has uh, the beginning of the Jewish people. You know, he has the binding of Isaac, a, a supernatural thing that happens. He becomes the father of many more children of his own seed after this uh, and all sorts of stuff. So, you know, it's really a, a drastic change in his life. And even in Sarah's, because before this uh, moment, she was barren. And after this moment, she was very fruitful. Just a side note, there is a midrash. Uh, in Jewish literature that talks about Sarah having so much milk uh, from the fact of her supernatural happenings that she was able to nurse babies of so many different women who came to the ceremony of Yitzhak when he was weaned, um, a weaning ceremony that he had. And so it's really a uh, Amazing when you think about what transpired as Avraham went from Orla to Mila. Continuing on with the commentary, the Orla, the foreskin, represents the level of Klipas Noga. That's a fancy word for neutral evil. This is things like vegging out on TV shows. This is things like, well, I'm listening to this song, but it's not really bad in content, you know, but it's also not really uh, set apart and draws you into, you know, deeper levels of holiness with Hashem, you know, but it's, it's middle ground. So there are different aspects in the world that are called Klipas Noga. And so this is called neutral evil. And this is what the Orla represents. This is what uncircumcision is. It's not that it's bad and evil and demonic, but it's also not uh, righteous and holy, set apart to Hashem, consecrated. So it says, and this covers over holiness and conceals it. This is why people who are uncircumcised, whether it be in the flesh or in the physical, uh, or, wow, that's the same thing, whether it be in the flesh or in the heart, that um, they're anti-Semitic, they're uh, anti-obedient to Torah, they don't want to do that Jewish stuff, they don't want to, you know, they call it Old Testament versus Torah or Tanakh, Bible, Scripture, 
They don't call it any of that. You know, they don't keep any of the holidays that God gave us, but they want to keep all this other stuff. That's called Klepus Noga. Anyway, it says, so long as the foreskin, the orla, surrounds holiness, the level of holiness cannot be revealed. As this would allow the side of Klepus Noga to nurture from this revelation. So you're going to empower this neutrality as long as you have Orla. So neutrality is going to be nourished, strengthened. It's going to gain sustenance from Orla. And it says, and receive greater vitality and life force than it was allocated during its creation. So in other words, Klepas Noga is going to get bigger, stronger, better, faster, and amazing in a bad way uh, if you're allowed to stay uncircumcised. So it goes on to say, for this reason, after Mila, which is after circumcision, the verse states that Avraham would be Av Hamon Hagoim, father of all nations. Okay, Shaul is actually going to talk about that in a little bit in the Garrett to the Romans. He says, as the removal of Abraham's Orla gave the ability for his level of great father to be revealed, hence become a light unto the nations and assist them in their refinement. This is how Abraham is able to be the father of those who are uncircumcised and those who are circumcised because Abraham was a person who served Hashem even while he was uncircumcised, but went to even greater levels and greater depths when he was circumcised. And so it backtracks that even his uncircumcision becomes circumcision. And so it works the same way with that we just read, though, even those who are uncircumcised, who uphold the word of God, which is like Abraham before his name change, become actually circumcised like Abraham after his name change, you know. So just a little uh, thing to touch on with that. Uh, also, in my notes, I definitely wanted to make sure I shared this and this will be uh, pretty much the conclusion of this podcast. So this is from a person I like to call Rabbi GQ because he is the most GQ of uh, <laughs> stylish, stylish, I should say, of uh, commentaries that I get to read on a weekly basis. Thanks to Hashem. Um, but his name is Rabbi Avraham Greenbaum. Uh, he's actually currently living in Eretz Israel. Amazing commentaries that he drops. This is one of the things he brings down about Mila circumcision he says which god created to do bereshit 2 3 genesis chapter 2 verse 3 says man was con man was created incomplete man was created incomplete in order that he should acquire merit through doing again blessed are only other hearers of the word, but also the doers. You know, there's a form of godliness that denies its power. So how much more so a form of godliness that accesses its power? Think about that. This is what happens when you do the word of God. 
So it says that you acquire merit through doing, okay? It says serving God by completing and perfecting himself. The form of the male, Adam, Adam, is incomplete as long as the crown of the organ of creation remains covered by the impure or law. So if you're uncircumcised, you're literally called incomplete. This is why Yeshua would say, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. And that word for perfect is the, actually the word for complete. It's the word tamim, which is related to the word shalom or shalem, which is the word for, for perfection and uh, shalom, peace. Okay, so be perfect means complete yourself, refine yourself, perfect yourself in the doing of your service to Hashem. And it says that, uh, so there's the Orla that covers and it makes us impure, it makes us incomplete. It says, this is a pleasure center that keeps those from whom it has not been removed uncontrollably attached to the material. And this is why most holidays of the non-Jews are all about materiality because they're controlled by their Orla. They're pleasure driven. Nothing is about sacrificing myself for God, being obedient to the word of God, going beyond the natural. It's like, no, I need to satisfy my desires. I need to get what I want and whatever God wants can be what he wants. But, you know, it's going to come at the expense of if it lines up with how I'm feeling, then great. But if it doesn't, then I'm not going to do it. It's like, well, welcome to Orla land. Because remember, if you're not with them, you're against them. And if you're not Mila, you're Orla. And it goes on to say the genitals are vital to the whole body and whole person. You can read about the uh, the correlation of this uh, by cross-referencing Devarim 25, Deuteronomy 25, verse 12. And it says, and the presence of the Orla influences the person's mind and outlook, preventing him from becoming per perfectly attached to God. It is said, okay, first of all, let's address that. The Orla, the uncircumcision, prevents us from becoming perfectly attached to God. In other words, if you're not Milah connected with being a Yehudi, which it's connected with being attached to God because remember, Milah brings you into Brit, covenant attachment with God. Okay, so if you're a person of Orla, you're not Jewish. You're a person who's not connected to God. However, if you're a person who's Orla and you're upholding the Torah like Abraham did, then you are attached to God and eventually your Orla will become Milah. So there's that. So really... You know, thinking about this um, circumcision and true Judaism and all of that, it's like, what's the point? Are you given to the realm of the supernatural? Are you given to obedience? Are you given to uh, your own pleasures or to God's pleasures? Which, by the way, this Lakute Torah, Torah or brings down that the 613 commandments are called the pleasures of God. Each commandment. Each one of the 613 is a specific aspect of pleasure to Hashem. So anyway, it uh, goes on to say from Rabbi GQ, Rabbi Greenbaum, 
He says that um, the presence of the Orla influences the person's mind and outlook, preventing him from becoming perfectly attached to God. It is said that Abraham agonized long when he began to understand that circumcision was the sign of his bond to God, the mark of his slave-like attachment to the master of the universe. We're called to be slaves to righteousness, which means slaves to obedience, slaves to the word of God, slaves to the master of the universe. That only happens if you've moved from Orla into Mila, crossed over from death into life. So, yeah, there's that. And it says, Abraham feared that by cutting his flesh in this way, he would be setting himself apart from the rest of humanity. Boy, ain't that the truth. Making it more difficult to bring them to the knowledge of the true God. Because who's really going to line up for circumcision? I mean, think about it. It's like, I'm a grown man. I'm uncircumcised. And, you know, this God of the Jews, this God of the Bible, uh, this God of the all of creation, which is the same. Yeah, I like him and I want to do what he says and I want to be attached to him. It's like, okay, well, you have to disassociate yourself with materiality, with the natural, which are things that you grew up with that have not been uh, holy, righteous, set apart. And one of the ways you're going to do that is you're going to cut off that foreskin that covers your male organ. It's like, ooh, a little close to home, a little sensitive subject. That's a little below the belt. It's like, yep. Hashem is like personal. He's taking it personally. <laughs> it's like, okay. And it's just like, well, if you have trouble with that, just remember the one who ultimately died to give you the opportunity to attach yourself to Hashem when you were so far away from him in great darkness and he shone his marvelous light upon you. He got his whole body pierced. And it's just like, okay, well, I guess if he could give his life, you know, what is a little piece of flesh? Think about that. <laughs> you know, this is why uh, if you go back to the blood on the doorpost story, which is likened to salvation, because we talk about putting the blood of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God on our hearts. Well, there's two bloods. There was the blood of the circumcision and the blood of the Lamb. So... In order for us to be crucified with Mashiach, one of the meanings of that is to be circumcised so that the blood of Mashiach works with the blood of our circumcision because we have to take our part of responsibility in the salvation process, which sounds crazy, doesn't it? Because think about this. In order for the word of God to be made powerful in your life, you have to do it. So your part is doing what God gave you, you know, so God gave us a gift, namely the word of God, namely the body of Mashiach, you know, and we're supposed to attach ourselves to that. We're supposed to uphold the word of God, we're supposed to receive Mashiach. So we have a part to play in our own salvation. This is why free will is a thing. You're either going to be giving yourself to Orla or you're going to give yourself to Mila. Continuing on, it says, in the end, however, 
God, or in the end, however, Abraham accepted God's commandment, Baruch Hashem, because the purity which the circumcision bestowed upon him enabled him to serve as priest of all mankind and bringing man to God. This is why Abraham is seen as so great because he literally was the father of many nations. He, through his circumcision, he was elevated to the status to bring all mankind to God. Think about the implications of that. Okay. And then it says, the sign of God's covenant with Abraham is inscribed upon the very organ with which we procreate, signifying that the foundation of the covenant, pun intended, because the, uh, the male organ is likened to the uh, Kabbalistic term of Yesod, which is called the foundation of the covenant. But anyway, it says, so it's just getting real personal on this podcast. Goodness. It says, so this is the, the sign is inscribed upon the very organ which we use to procreate, signifying the foundation of the covenant is that we submit our powers of procreation to God's service. The commandment of circumcision is not one of the universal commandments of the Torah, but rather the exclusive mark and sign of the children of Israel. Many are called, but few are circumcised, basically, to take some uh, license on the verse. Many are called, few are chosen. So in other words, there's so many general commandments like don't murder, set up courts, you know, don't eat limbs torn from a live animal, which would kind of be awkward. It's like, yeah, so I came across this cow and I chopped off its front leg and I'm going to eat that. But the cow's still living. And, you know, that's cool. And it's like, no, it's not cool. What you do that for? Poor cow, you know, what do you do to you? But anyway, uh, continuing on. So there's all these general things, but, you know, circumcision literally is one of those things where when you undergo that process, you're moving yourself from this general category to a very small inner circle. You know, and small being millions and thousands of people, because if you count the number of Jews throughout generations, you know, we're we're a pretty big group, which actually, uh, believe it or not, one of the um, comments on uh, the Torah portion, I believe it is uh, Nitzavim. Yes, you're standing here today. It's one of the final parashot, the final Torah portions of Devarim, De- Deuteronomy. It talks about, you know, you are all standing here today. Talking about the Jews of the past, present, and future. You know, those who uh, became Jews, lived and died. Those who are currently Jews, living and dying. Those who will in the future be Jews, live and die. You know, you're all standing here today. And so there's this whole thing about, you know, when we become Jewish and when we join the Jewish people, it's not just present. It's past, present, and future, which is a pretty big group. But anyway... It says that this is exclusive when you do the Milah. So the descendants of Yishmael consider themselves bound by the covenant of circumcision, but they do not perform the second step. Because there's a part where you cut the foreskin, but then there's a membrane that you also have to peel. And this is called Priya. 
So this is practiced by the descendants of Yaakov. Because when you look at Yaakov, Yaakov came from Yitzhak, which is Isaac. And then Isaac's brother is Ishmael. And so Ishmael was circumcised. But Ishmael's descendants don't do what Yitzhak's descendants do, which is this two-step process. So, yeah, you can cut the foreskin and everything, but then you have to peel off the rest of the barrier, which is the membrane. So, you know, think of it as a house that has a screen door. Okay, you can open the screen door, but then there's still a door there. And it's like, okay, well, go ahead and open that door. So that's what circumcision is like. So this is why the idea of two Mashiachs in Judaism is a thing, because you have one who suffers and dies and goes away. Then you have the other one who's going to also bring, come in, be revealed, so to speak, like peel away the, uh, the facade and come in to reality. So you see the two steps of circumcision that has to happen. So anyway, so Yishmael only partially circumcises himself. And then Christianity, he even goes there. Rabbi GQ, what's wrong with you? He says Christianity presents itself as a new stage in the revelation that began with Abraham, in which the original covenant or Old Testament with Abraham and his biological descendants marked by circumcision was superseded by a new covenant or new testament with all humanity which did not require circumcision see this is the problem if you take away circumcision now you're left with orla so unless you're going to be orla and be shomer over the torah which is now going to turn your orla into mila which means you're now going to go from being an uncircumcised person to a circumcised person well that's not taught in Christianity because it's like, yeah, you don't have to get circumcised. You don't even have to do any of that Old Testament stuff. It's like, well, if you do that, here's what the implications are. It says it is the abandonment, abandonment of circumcision that put the seal on Christianity's break with the Torah of Moshe, which states an uncircumcised male who will not circumcise the flesh of his foreskin that soul will be cut off from her people. He has broken my covenant. That's in Genesis chapter 17, verse 14. Now, this would be why we don't want, why not we, but this is why Christianity doesn't want the Old Testament because it says stuff like that. It's like, well, if we get rid of that text, then we don't have to worry about being cut off from Hashem because we got, we got J.C., you know, and it's just like, Ew. well, if you have JC without Hashem, you have nothing because Yeshua himself says, if I'm apart from my father, I can do nothing. You know, just think about it this way. Everything that Yeshua does, everything that he said, he only did because he saw his father doing it and his father has already said it. So therefore, if you sever Yeshua and say, yes, in Yeshua alone, my hope is found. And here I stand in the blood of Yeshua. It's like, okay, well, then you've now taken away his words. You've now taken away his spirit. And so you're left with a dead body. And it's like, okay, it may be a holy dead body, but it has no power. It's a form of godliness, but it lacks power. So you'll be like a hearer of the word, but you won't be able to do it because you've taken away the access to the doing. Because all you do is here, 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 here. And then, again, you've now moved yourself from Mila 
and the opportunity of Mila to a place of Orla, you're now controlled by your own pleasure, by your own materiality. And that's where you're broken away and separated. And it's like, well, I don't have to be broken away and separated if that doesn't exist in my Bible. So there's that. It says nothing can change these words. Nothing can change these words. See, Rabbi GQ gets it. He understands that there's nothing that you can bring up as a new revelation or whatever, like whether it's Mashiach or not. That can change the words of God. God's word is eternal by default. So if something later is going to come in and say, yeah, forget about Genesis 17. It's like, oh, if you forget about Genesis 17, you might as well forget about Genesis chapter one. And now what does that leave us? That leaves us in nothingness. That leaves us in uncreation. And that's a, a place of nothingness. That's a place dark devoid of life so you might as well just get rid of your bible at that point because you don't need it because you have nothing so anyway nothing can change these words for god is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind he spoke will he not do it he pronounced will he not fulfill it you can find this written in Bami Bar, which is Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. For I am God. I have not changed. You can find that in Malachi 3, 6. Go and let us ascend to the mountain of God, the house of the God of Yaakov. You can find that in Yeshayahu, which is Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. This is why it's important. Because we will have the house of God on the mountain of God, which is Mount Moriah, which is the Temple Mount, uh, speedily and soon in our days, if not sooner. I mean, maybe so. So in order for us to ascend that mountain, uh, there's you can read in Revelation about those who will be allowed to come into the gates of the city, the new Jerusalem. And it has to be people who are pure and, and clean and circumcised and stuff, you know. So you will not be allowed into the city if you're a person of Orla, because you will be forbidden. And the final thing that I would like to say to conclude this podcast for this week's uh, section of the Agarit to Rome. Uh, it says from G. Shekel, which is a gentleman by the name of Gadai from Beth Yisrael, all the way over in India. His comments, uh, bringing down some sources to the tour portion of Go For Yourself, Lek Leka. Uh, he says in his commentary that there's a naming that happens during the Brit Milan. I give you a name better than that in sons of daughters. Uh, that's also written in the prophet of Yeshayahu, Isaiah. And so if you really look at this about the Mila, circumcision is con directly connected to you receiving your new name. You know, some people change their name. Some people don't actually upon the process of conversion. It just depends because sometimes... There are people who are already refined and they're already there as far as that revelation and their name doesn't have to be changed. But there are some people who literally they want more, you know, they want to go to higher levels. They have lived um, a life that hasn't been refined and they need an extra boost. It's like there's a name change. So whether or not you change your name doesn't mean that you're better or not better than another person. It just depends on where you are. 
Look at Yeshua and his Talmudim. Some of them, he changed their names. Some of them, he didn't. But it's important to note with Brit Milah, your name is directly associated to that. So anyway, it says in the writings of the Gospels, it says that Yeshua, our Mashiach, i.e. from the tribe of Judah, was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law of Moshe. Luke 2.21 on the eighth day, when it was time for his Brit Milah, he was given the name Yeshua. By the way, it's important to note, this would have been the day it would have been pronounced. Because in the circumcision ceremony, you announce the name of the child. So on the eighth day, it would have been announced. I give to you, the member of the community of Israel, Yeshua ben Yosef. I.e. Mashiach ben Yosef. So that would have been a prophetic moment even of itself because we would have seen, okay, this is the Messiah, the son of Joseph, who is to come and die and be the suffering servant. And then he will be followed up by Mashiach, son of David, the Messiah, son of David, who will be the reigning and reigning king who will bring us out of exile and bring us into the final redemption. Anyway, continuing Luke 21, Luke 2, 21. Which is the name the angel had called him before his conception. By the way, that's an important statement, phrase, because there are um, teachings in Jewish literature that uh, very righteous people uh, that have existed in the Bible, their name was actually revealed before they were born. Isaac is one of them. So there's all that to really take into consideration. So Yeshua follows the lineage of those who were righteous, even according to Jewish literature, because his name was revealed by an angel even before his birth. That directly links him back to oral Torah teachings. All right. Straight to the Takuni Zohar, Takun 22. And it says, Bereshit which is commonly translated as in the beginning, but we know it means with the firstborn or with the first fruits. It says can be rearranged to form the word Brit Ash, meaning covenant of fire, the sign upon which both the higher and the lower worlds exist. As the verse states, if not for my covenant of circumcision, I would not have established day and night and the laws of heaven and earth. Yermiyahu, which is Jeremiah, chapter 33, verse 25. Alternatively, the covenant of fire will protect him from the fires of purgatory. Yes, purgatory is a Jewish thought. This is also known as Sheol or the place of the dead. It's a, a holding place, if you will, for those who haven't quite had the opportunity or the merit to be uh, welcomed into paradise, Gan Eden. So not quite Gehenna, but also not quite paradise. So there's a little source on that. Again, that's Takuni Zohar, Takun 22. And continuing on with Takuni Zohar, it says, when a person guards the covenant regarding the son that the Holy One will give him, the verse states, and God caused to sprout from the ground every tree that was pleasing to the sight. Bereshit, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, says, For he will merit to understand the secrets of the Torah. 
So through Mila, you're given the secrets of the Torah, which is why I love going on in the Agarit to Rome and chapter three. It says, what advantage then has the Jew? What is the profit of circumcision? What is it? It says much in every way, chiefly because unto them they were committed the oracles of God. Literally. Be'adam divre Elohim. So, like, that is like some legitness. These super deep concepts of Hashem can only be manifest and brought forth through Mila, which is one of the things that happens with your name change. Anyway, circumcision, supernatural, all that good stuff. Mila. You gotta get it. Okay. Um... Uh, couple more things it says therefore concerning creation it is written these are the products of the heaven and the earth when they were created in hebrew behabaram bereshit 2 4 the word behabaram has the identical letters as be avraham meaning with avraham for in his merit the world was sustained See Tractate, which is Talmud, Shabbat 137b. Also see Zohar Volume 1, 91b. So again, you see Be Avraham literally means with Avraham, which is why Bereshit literally means with Reshit. With the first roots, with the Torah, with the firstborn, namely the firstborn of all creation. Yep. Rerun, that's in the writings of Shaul, the firstborn of all creation, is Yeshua, who is the Torah, who is the Rashid, who is the first fruits, who is the firstborn. Okay, anyway. So, two more. Got uh, Zohar, volume 1, 162a and 197a, says this. Man who is worthy and guards this holy covenant the milah, that is, the circumcision, is called a zodic, which is a righteous man. Remember, in chapter 2, verse 26 of the Agarit to Rome, the letter to Rome, he says that uncircumcision, when they keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision. So in other words, uh, Orla, a person who becomes milah, is connected to the righteousness of God. And it says here that a man who is worthy and guards his holy covenant is called a Zodic. You're called a righteousness of God. Remember, Yeshua is the righteousness of God. This is why he's called Messiah, our righteousness. Mashiach Zidkenu is how you say that in Hebrew. So there's that. Goes on to say he is called. Oh, my goodness. OK, so this just dropped into my little screen here my little readout of uh my shomer man helmet in hebrew there's a word called zom uh and it is spelled zadi vav mem and this word is the word that's used for fasting the word for fasting in hebrew insinuates closure like namely your mouth which again, remember, circumcision applies to your lips, right? So you have to have circumcised lips as well as circumcised heart, circumcised ears. Well, when you have a zome, there's these three letters. Sadi is the word 
Ersadi is the letter that begins the word Zadaka, Zadik, Zadikim. Okay, all of that has to do with righteousness, the righteous one. Okay, and then Mem is the word, is the letter that begins the word Mashiach. Okay, so I just said Mashiach Zidkenu, like Messiah our righteousness. That is Mem Sadi. Okay, spell it backwards. Sadi Mem. Now you have two of the three letters for the word Zom. So you're missing the Vav. The Vav in Hebrew, because every letter of Hebrew, there are 22 of them, have a meaning. The Vav letter represents a, a tent peg or a nail or a man. So when you have the Zom, you have this element of the Zadik, who is pierced, who is a man, who is Mashiach. And when we are the zone, when we fast, okay, we're taking part in the suffering and the crucifixion of the righteous one who was pierced, who is Messiah. And we embody that essence uh, during a fast. And so this is why even in our prayer book, which is called a Siddur, which Siddur is just the word for order. So in our prayer order service, order of prayer service. Uh, we talk about on fast days, on days where we do a zone, partake of a zone, we say, may our, may our offering, may our body that's been diminished be counted as an offering upon your altar. You know, so that's kind of a, a, a interesting thing when you really look at, you know, the depths of that. See if I can read that verbatim for us. It's a part of the standing prayer. Uh, stand by here. See, I'm going to go to the afternoon prayer service. Okay. Check this out. It says on a fast day. Uh, says this. Thank you for your patience. I know we've been going pretty long on this podcast. Okay. So this is called the Anani, which is answer us. It says, answer us, Hashem. Answer us on this day of our fast, for we are in great distress. Do not pay attention to our wickedness. Do not hide your face from us. And do not ignore our plea. Please be near to our outcry. Please let your kindness comfort us before we call to you answer us as it is said and it will be that before they call i will answer while they yet speak i will hear for you adonai are the one who responds in a time of distress and who redeems and rescues in every time of distress and so um and the footnotes to this passage it talks about the uh diminishing of our organs inside of our bodies just like the and inner organs of the animals that were offered as sacrifices on the temple altar. So may our diminished organs and our insides be uh, offered as an offering to Hashem. So just a little thing about fasting that goes there. All right. So back to uh, what we were reading. 
Oh, so yeah, that was the whole concept of Zion, Mashiach, our righteousness, the righteousness of Hashem, the whole thing about guarding the covenant, you're exotic, okay? You're like a person who fasts, okay? Anyway, says, and he is called this from head to toe, i.e. he is exotic in every sense, not just in terms of guarding his breed. So just from default, if you're a person who is circumcised and you're guarding your circumcision, i.e. you're staying obedient, you're keeping yourself in morality instead of immorality, uh, you're likened to guarding your whole body. In other words, because you're keeping this one commandment, it's likened to keeping all the other commandments. The same thing is said as of the Shabbat. So if you're a person who can't get circumcised for medical reasons or whatever, because oral Torah teaches about that too, or if you're a woman and, you know, that is kind of like a thing where you don't get circumcised because you're a woman, because of obvious reasons. Uh, if you're a keeper of the Shabbat, same thing applies. Just because you keep the Shabbat, it includes and insinuates that you keep all the other commandments. So just for those who are just like, what? Like 613 commandments and keeping the whole entire Torah, is that even possible? It's like, well, have you, have you been Shomer Shabbat? Did you keep the Shabbat? And it's like, well, yeah, I've been trying. It's like, great. Because by keeping the Shabbat, it's likened to fulfilling the whole entire Torah. Just like for a man who guards his circumcision, it's like he's kept the whole entire Torah. And even more so, he's considered a completely righteous person. Because it takes a lot to guard your circumcision. I mean, you have to push out impure thoughts. You have to walk in morality and righteousness and virtuousness. You know, um... All sorts of stuff goes into that. And it's like, yeah, you're exotic from head to toe. Because why? Because you guarded your covenant. Continuing on, it says this is because the covenant includes all of the limbs of his body. Anyone who guards the holy covenant, it is as if he fulfills the entire holy Torah. For the covenant of circumcision is equal to all of the Torah. That is Zohar volume 1, 162a and 197a. Very last source, and I love that it comes from my Torah portion, which is Vayashev, which is, and he dwelled, talking about Yaakov, when he thought he could finally settle down in life, and Hashem was like, nope, no, you can't. By the way, since you thought that way, here's some things for you to take into consideration. Namely, you're going to be separated from the son whom you love. It's like, what? Because Joseph was taken away and sold into slavery and stuff, so... That was interesting. Just when you thought you can have your best life now, Hashem was like, nope, you don't get to have, you know, your best life now in this world. This world, you have to go through challenges and tests and trials and tribulations of all kind. But that's OK. Take heart. I've overcome the world. My shalom I give to you, not as the world gives, but uh, take peace for I've overcome the world and you will, too. But you're going to have to fight for it. This is why you have to take a hold of the kingdom by force. It's not a passive thing. And because I've given you my Torah, I've given you the pathway to success. Just like I told Moshe, just like I told Yehoshua. Uh, if you keep my Torah, you will be successful in all your ways, even though it will be tough and challenging at times. Anyway, that's all attached to my Torah portion. <laughs> Ask me what I know about my Torah portion. So it goes on to say, this is from the Zohar Chadash on Parsha Vayashev in Sitre Torah. Only those who guard the covenant of Milah are called holy, i.e. 
what is that word? Uh, saints. Okay. Which is the English form of the word Zadikim or Kedoshim. Righteous ones, holy ones, saints. Only the people who are like that are those who have been given to Mila and those who have forsaken Orla. And ones who have forsaken Orla and in favor of Mila, these are true Jews and these who have the oracles of God. May we be worthy to experience the days of the return of Mashiach and the life of the world to come. And may we soon see the return of our Messiah speedily and soon in our days. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who gave us the Torah of truth and implanted eternal life within us. Blessed are you, Adonai, the giver of the Torah and the merit and in the name of Messiah Yeshua. May it be so. Amen.